Uh, it's really good to be here. It's been so long. Uh, and you've really spiffed things up since I've been here last. It's uh, just a privilege, just a privilege. Um, I was able, uh, Elizabeth mentioned that I'm a spiritual director and I did the exact same training that Chris is off doing now. So I'm excited for him and for you and just how that will shape him in the years ahead as he continues on in his training and shapes who he is as a pastor here. So, and I'm glad that he's there so I can be with you. So, bonus. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to the wonder of your word, to be able to hear your voice in the midst, to be willing to respond to your spirit's prompts. May the word of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. Oh, Lord, we pray. Amen. Okay, so in 1996... Mark and I and our three kids, who were then 13, 11, and 7, went to live for a year in central Mexico. And I hope that there's slides up there for you. Mm, we'll see. Are we going to get slides? Yeah, we'll work on that. Anyway, <clears throat> in a few minutes, hopefully you'll get to see a picture. Yeah, here we go. We've changed just a little bit. So that's Elizabeth down in front and Brian... Russell on, the, on your right. <laughs> um, we went down there as covenant short-term missionaries, and John and Letha Curl, who I think were here last week, uh, they're now the regional coordinators in Europe, but at that time they were missionaries down in Mexico, and they were instrumental in us going down. And Bellingham Covenant Church, they gifted us with this lovely old white 15-passenger van, which we affectionately called Moby after the great white whale. And we removed the back two seats and put in all that we needed for a whole year as a family of five to live in a foreign country. And we had to take that picture, my husband did, because he was so excited that he actually parallel parked in the center of Mexico City, right near the Socolo, right next to the city center there. <laughs> so our first destination was to the Curls home in Monterrey, Mexico, which was up near the Texas border. And then we began our crash course in living in a different culture. <laughs> John and Letha gently tried to teach us how to not completely embarrass ourselves, which I'm afraid was only partially successful. We pretty much lived in a state of humiliation for the whole year. They taught us things like how to greet people, that you usually came with a handshake and a cheek kiss. And when we came back to uh, church back in the States, <laughs> Gladys Johnson, one of the dear old saints of our church, she put out her hand and I immediately went in for the kiss and her eyes just went very, very big. <laughs> and after a week or so up in Monterrey, John, bless his heart, drove, us down, drove with us down to central Mexico, which was south of Mexico City is where we were going to live for the year. And he had to teach us how to drive in this new culture. Things like when you come to a four-way stop, it's not necessarily who gets there first, it's who is biggest. So if we hesitated in that great big white van, 
we totally messed up the system. We had to learn how to talk. We had to learn how to drive. We had to learn how to pay bills. We had to learn how to read social cues. We had to learn to think less Bellingham and more Mexico. We had to learn how to be and how to live in a new way and a new reality with new expectations. So this last year, we have all had to do that, haven't we? We've learned ha had to learn how to work, how to go to school, how to do church. Um, how do we read the social cues when we only see people from the nose up? We had to learn how to live in a new way, in a new reality, with new expectations. After Jesus died, rose again, ascended into heaven, a small group of believers met together on Pentecost, and God showed up in a powerful way in wind and flame and unlearned languages, and a crowd gathered to see what was going on. And Peter stood up and he explained to them that what they were seeing was prophecy being fulfilled. Jesus had been raised from the dead to be Lord of all and was pouring out his spirit among them. And that's what they were seeing. God was coming into their midst. And many of the people that were listening, they recognized their need for forgiveness, their need to live in a new way. And 3,000 people put their faith in the risen Christ. 3,000. That's probably about 15 times of what would fit in here in a non-COVID season. 3,000 new believers. For 3,000 people, one day Caesar is king, and the next day Jesus is king. One day the temple is a place where God's spirit resides, and the next day the spirit of the living God is living inside each of them. One day their allegiance is to self and family, Caesar, and the next day their allegiance is to Jesus Christ alone. 3,000 new believers needed to be nurtured in this new life where Jesus Christ reigns, where his ways are the first priority. They had to learn, again, how to be and live in a new way, in a new reality, with new expectations. So what happened? Our text says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These four activities permeated their lives. They were faithfully committed to learning, sharing, eating, and prayer. I kind of like the eating part. When, Jesus, when the spirit of the living God takes up residence, it takes time to let go of those old habits and rhythms and addictions and attitudes it takes time for our worldview to shift, for behavior to change, for thought patterns and hearts to be transformed. The Spirit works in us, but we partner with the Spirit by participating in activities that are pathways for His grace to transform us. And these activities grow our relationship with Christ and help us to learn the culture of His reign, how to become more like Christ, and how to learn how to even desire to live out his purposes. So they devoted themselves, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
The apostles taught what they had seen and heard and experienced as they followed Jesus. And they, they taught how it, its meaning and its power of his life and death and resurrection, what it meant, how to live in this new reality. When the apostles started to die, they realized the church knew that they needed to get these writings down so that people beyond them could hear the teachings. So they formed what we have, of course, as the New Testament. But this isn't just a history or some educational document. It is living and active. I have a quote in my office as a reminder. To read the Bible properly is to find an altar where one meets the living God. It's the altar where one meets the living God. We have an amazing gift in these words, an amazing gift. Through them, we get to meet God. We get to hear God. We get to grow to be more like God. Babies crave and root after their mama's milk to grow and to thrive. We need the nourishment of God's word to grow us out of the patterns of the, this world and into this new culture of Christ's reign, to not to live out what the world and the media says we should want or should do, but God's desires for us. As a pastor, as a spiritual director, my role as a pastor is Christian formation. I oversee adult ministries and how people grow, how they mature in their life with Christ. And I grieve to see how much our life and our attitudes and our habits are formed by our culture, by the media. We're not shaped by God's word and by the truth. And I'm speaking there to myself, not just you guys. It's, it's here too. We are not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed in the renewing of our minds. Our thoughts should be increasingly more Christ-like more loving, more pure, more generous, more gracious. And that comes from a strong foundation in the word. Reading it, knowing it, listening to it, chewing on it, and then trying to live it, how to, how to figure out how we live it in this world. These early believers, they were devoted, devoted to the word of God. And they were devoted to the fellowship, to sharing life together. In Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. This church is not a social club. We, together, are Christ's body in the world, his manifestation of the Lord to all those around us. It's our life together that will show who God is to those who see us. We belong to one another. We have responsibility for one another. John Wesley wrote, the body of Christ is incomplete without us. And we are incomplete without the body of Christ. We're incomplete. Together, we are Christ's body. We need each other to be who we're supposed to be. This year, it's been hard. It's been really hard to feel connected, to feel together, to, to even think of what fellowship might mean. I don't know about you, but Zoom doesn't quite do it. It just doesn't. We try to make it work, but it's not the same. 
For many of us, we're just beginning to put our toe out there into the world, learning how to have friends in the flesh again. That's a far cry from what I think they're trying to describe here about fellowship, but it, we've got to start We've got to start somewhere. And those early believers, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Scholars disagree whether this means just their common meal or if this is talking about the Lord's Supper. Back then, communion was usually part of their common meal. They ate together and they remembered what Christ had done. They remembered their bond in him, both communion and the common meal. They are important. They draw us near to Christ, to one another. They're places of hospitality and nourishment and unity. Oh, how I miss the laughter around the dining room table. The stories, the good conversation, the encouragement. We need those consistent spiritual experiences, those consistent times of conversation together to remind us who Christ is, who we're supposed to be, who we can be. And lastly, they were devoted to prayer. Prayer is the lifeblood of the Spirit. Our ongoing conversation with the living Lord, through Christ, we have the immense privilege of being able to be into the presence of our holy God. As children with their daddy, as friends seeking counsel and encouragement and support, when we pray together, there is an amazing mystery going on there. Something extraordinary happens. Christ himself is in our midst. He intercedes with us and for us. Many of you have probably heard of Corrie ten Boom. Corrie and her sister Betsy were arrested for sheltering Jews in World War II, and they were taken to Ravensbrück, which is a German concentration camp where the guards were renowned for their cruelty. And one guard brutally, brutally beat Betsy, who later died in the camp. And Corey survived, and she traveled all over the world to preach and share how God can be found even in the darkest of places. And she often told of a man that after one of her talks came up to her, and she immediately recognized this man as one of the guards that had been so cruel to her sister Betsy. The man told her that since the war, he'd come to Christ, and he'd come to ask for her forgiveness. And he put out his hand and said, Fraulein, will you forgive me? And Corey just looked at him, and she hated him. And the bitterness just welled up in her heart. And for how he had hurt her sister and so many others, and she prayed, Lord, help me. And the Lord brought to mind to her a verse from Romans 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. His love is poured into our hearts. And she prayed, Father, forgive my hatred. And in that moment, the Lord just took it all away. And she was able to say, Brother, give me your hand. I forgive you wholly. Beyond the amazing miracle of this forgiveness, I am struck that Corey's first inclination was to pray. This all happened in an instant. And that God used his word that she had planted in her heart over a lifetime of reading her, the word and study and memorization. And all this happened 
just in a flash. For Corey Ten Boon, prayer was as natural as breathing. The early believers, they were devoted, dedicated, eagerly pursuing the practices that gave room for God to meet them. To reorient their lives away from the culture in which they lived and that was so drastically out of rhythm with God's heartbeat. They had to think less world and more Christ. The love and the fellowship that they enjoyed and were experiencing just spilled out every which way. In hospitality, they ate together with glad and thankful hearts. In generosity, they shared their homes, their time, their property. In compassion, giving sacrificially out of the concern for one another. And they were filled with wonder and joy at all that God was doing among them. The apostles were doing magnificent signs and wonders, and the kingdom was breaking in every which way. God was showing up. It was exciting. It was unsettling. And it was marvelous. Are we open to the Spirit changing us, changing our lives, I think as Christians in the West, it is so easy for us just to be lulled, to become complacent, to become content. We have our Christian routines and we generally feel pretty safe and comfortable. In the words of the t-shirt, life is good. <laughs> Do we really want to mess that up? Do we really want to be woken up and risk challenge, risk being unsettled, risk being uncomfortable, and maybe even suffer. When God shows up, he awakens us to something more, something bigger, something more real, something more true, more satisfying, more life-giving. Last spring, at our conference annual meeting, Grant Christensen, who's a pastor of uh, Grace Covenant, which is in Bremerton, shared a story, and Grace is just a tiny little church. There's about 50 people there. And of course, they were forced to move online like everybody else was with COVID. But last year, a SEAL team in Iraq started watching their services online. One of the soldier's parents was from Grace, was the connection. And on Easter, the SEAL team set up a projector and there was 22 soldiers who participated in worship with Grace Covenant from Iraq, in Iraq. And while they're watching this, an Iraqi soldier named Adnan wandered through the room. And within, within months, Adnan came to faith in Christ. And soon after this, Adnan's wife and daughter, they were attacked and severely injured. And because of her injuries, Adnan's wife, whose name was Miriam, had a severe stroke and was in a coma and wasn't expected to live. So they came and they were taking her off the life support and Adnan knelt by her bed and was praying. And suddenly, Miriam woke up. And Adnan, she says, who is this Jesus person who knows you? And why did he tell me that my time to be with him was not now? Adnan, he was beside my bed talking to me. Well, the next month, Miriam came to Christ. And then her, their daughter, Afra. And then Miriam's brother came to Christ. 
And Amnad started inviting other Iraqi soldiers to come and watch the services with them. And soon, 18 Iraqi soldiers were watching the live stream. All 18 came to faith in Christ. And three of the original SEAL team came to faith in Christ. And Pastor Grant said he'd lost count, but at least 26 soldiers had come to faith. And this was last April was when he was sharing this with us. And many others had renewed their faith and their desire to follow Christ. God has not stopped showing up. Are we willing to make Christ our first allegiance? Will we give him the space to do the work, the deep work of transformation in us? Will we pray for his spirit to move in us and among us and through us? Are we willing to learn how to be and live in a new way, in a new reality, with new expectations? When we went to Mexico, it was a tremendous test of faith for us to leave all that was safe and comfortable and familiar. It was scary and disorienting and very humbling. And if we had said no, we wouldn't have known what we'd missed, but it would have changed the trajectory of the life of our family, of our kids. It would have changed the lives of many others who were impacted, including many of you. Patrick McAvoy, and he came to visit us with his cousins when we were down there, and then he came back with us on a short-term mission trip after uh, a few years after we were down there. And then he went back on his own and he met Adelaide and the rest is history and many of you have been down to work and stayed at the Masawa Mission where our good friends are serving. And it all began with a yes, a yes to the spirit, a willingness to learn how to live in a new way. Those early believers were devoted devoted themselves to the word, to fellowship, to breaking bread and prayer. They gave God space and he met them and he changed them and they grew in hospitality and generosity and compassion. And they were filled with wonder and joy at all that God was doing. And God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Living God, this has been a year of challenges. And for many of us, it has been a time to hunker down and not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. I just pray that we, you would wake us from our lethargy, our complacency, and our contentment. Wake us up to the possibilities. Open our eyes to the vastness of who you are and your purposes and your desires for us. Holy Spirit, Move in our lives. Move in us as a church. Break down our resistance to you. Renew in us a hunger, a longing to grow in you. May we make space for you to move and to work in our lives. And may many, many more be added to our number. Risen Christ, may we have one allegiance to your lordship in our lives one priority, to love and to serve you 
and one desire for your glory. We pray in the name of the triune God. Amen.